up, everybody? Welcome to episode 56 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at GregSauce, and you can find all of my work at 2QBs.com. And we're just going to jump right in with our guest. This is the illustrious Scott Fish, at ScottFish24 on Twitter, of Fanball, and of, of course, uh, SFB7, the Scott Fishbowl fame. Scott, how are you? Thanks for coming on today. Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. Um, I want to jump right in with some Scott Fishbowl talk. This is something that at 2QBs we're always super excited about, right? It's this gigantic event. It happens to be Superflex, which is right in our wheelhouse. And it's been a crazy season. Every season's crazy to some extent, but this is one of those years where, you know, the quarterback play has been pretty up and down. We're already up to like a, a number of starters. That's kind of ridiculous considering how many teams there are. And you're doing really well, man. You're 4-0 at 126 place overall. How are you doing it? T- teach me your secrets. <laughs> Pure luck, I think. I don't know. I, I, I think I got lucky on a couple. Uh, the Bell didn't get injured. I think I drafted a, a few quarterbacks early that have, you know, done pretty decently. I, I don't know. It's it's mostly luck, I think, honestly. I, I've avoided the injury bug. That's the, that's the key. I don't believe you. I'm, I know that there's <laughs> some, some skill involved. I, I do feel personally that I've been a little unlucky with my own team. I'm the guy who drafted Tyler Reifert, Ryan Tannehill, Sam Bradford. Uh, those guys have all been dealing with injuries and whatnot. Like Tannehill's out for the year, most likely. Bradford, right. who knows when he's coming back. But I also mm-hmm. just drafted some players who haven't panned out, like Adrian Peterson, Thomas Rawls, Cody Kessler. I was able to back up Thomas Rawls with Chris Carson, but now Carson's on the IR. It's been an up-and-down year. <laughs> I still like my team, though. Like I, I feel like I have a good crop of players. It's just... I feel like my upside is really limited and that bugs me. Like I look at the fact that I'm relying on these kind of bargain basement QBs now that I lost Tannehill and Bradford. And I think that's what's ultimately going to do me because I think my running backs and wide receivers are fine. I, I was always planning just to scrape by at tight end. It's going to be rough. Um, I, I, and I can always blame, you know, any loss or, or, you know, lack of success on the fact that I dropped Aaron Jones a couple of oh. weeks right before he he looks like he's about to become the starter at least for one week. Um, what what do you think is going to happen there in Green Bay? I, it seems to me like Jones is going to maybe take that job and run with it, despite the fact that there are reports coming out that Ty Montgomery and Jamal Williams may not miss as much time as we might have originally expected. How do you see that backfield shaking out? Yeah, I, I I kind of agree with you. I I was mentioning this on a podcast earlier today that I would actually spend a little more in Fab this week on Aaron Jones than than your average customer just because just because I really liked him. I I thought he was I, I liked him better for Dynasty than than Jamal Williams and uh, Ty Montgomery. I mean, it, he said it's multiple broken ribs. I I'm a little I'm a little less optimistic than I think some people are with that injury. I think it could be several weeks. And if Aaron Jones does perform really really well i i could see him it becoming a split or aaron jones even you know not completely usurping tie but uh, enough to be fantasy relevant yeah no i i'm completely with you there are even some leagues and i can say this now because you know my waivers are going to run before this will be published but there are some leagues where i'm going to have uh aaron jones rated a little higher or with a little bit more you know, free agent acquisition budget slotted towards him than even a guy like Latavius Murray, just because I like that situation so much. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, that has a little bit to do with the fact that in a couple leagues, I was the Ty Montgomery owner. So I feel like a little bit more incentive to go after that backfield compared to the Minnesota backfield. But yeah, I'm. it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think the Aaron Jones is going to be a very crucial piece of the puzzle for some SFB teams going forward. I want to talk to you a little bit about like the scoring settings of the format and how that's playing out so far. Are you happy just at a base level with, you know, the kind of the monkey wrench you threw at us this year with points for uh, first downs, rushing and receiving? Yeah, I think I'm happier than I, than I thought I would be because, you know, I knew, I knew it was going to be heavy at all the other positions except for wide receivers. Even though two years ago, the numbers, you know, had it a little even, even a little more even, but my worry was that people weren't going to like it because you can't look at first downs in game centers very easily. And it's, it's a little harder to track. And, and whenever you devalue one position by, I, I guess in this case, by uh, increasing the other positions, it, it, I don't know, makes it a little less fun. But what's turning out is there are so many injuries at, at tight ends, a crowd fest and running backs are having so many injuries that 
there are teams with, that went heavy wide receiver that are 4-0 right now. So I kind of like that any strategy you took, whether it was you know the <laughs> strong at wide receiver uh, and ignore what the scoring settings tried to tell you, uh, any any way you went about it is, is seems to be working. So I, I'm a little more happy than I thought I would be. Yeah. Yeah, we're looking. I was looking at the stats earlier today in preparation for this show, and one of the things that really jumped out to me is. Well, let's start with the the basic stuff, the stuff that we know already. Quarterbacks are going to be strong in this format, particularly because you're not penalizing for interceptions. So QBs make up 17 of the top 20 scorers um, overall. Uh, there are 28 quarterbacks in the top 50, 33 in the top 200. You know, QBs are good and super flex. Go figure. QBs score a lot of points. Go figure. This yep. isn't news, right? Um, Sam Bradford, ironically, still leads all players in points per game thanks to that week one performance against new orleans but man get healthy soon sam bradford my sfb team needs you and okay so moving on to the running back position this is where like running backs compared to wide receivers i think it starts to get a little more interesting there are only three running backs in the top 20 because you know the top 20 is all qbs but there are 13 in the top 50 compared to only five wide receivers in the top 50 but if you look at the top 200 only 53 of them are running backs, but 79 of them are wide receivers. So the ceiling for running back is higher. And that is something that I think mm -hmm. a lot of people were hammering when they did their drafts for these leagues. But the floor, the, the baseline production for wide receivers is a little bit more trustable. And you see those guys kind of filling out the, the middle tier of, you know, overall players. And I think if you were one of those drafters who, hit on the right guys in terms of your early round picks, whether it be running backs or wide receivers, but then you load it up in those, you know, middle rounds on the wideouts that were being devalued. I think that that probably set you up for success. What do you think about that? I think that's absolutely true. And and it is interesting how it did play out exactly kind of the way people thought. I will, I will say that a lot of those top running backs are different than, than people thought. I mean, yes. Kareem Hunt was a 10th round pick in that during that time. So like I said before, the drafting wide receivers and the late round running backs could have worked out, even though the numbers are similar to what we had thought they would be. I believe last year between 30 and 120, almost all of them were wide receivers. So it seems to be panning out uh, pretty similarly. And I, I completely agree that, 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 method that strategy definitely it could have easily worked in this yeah and there were people who were talking about that sort of idea that you know if everybody's devaluing wide receiver then i'm just gonna it doesn't matter if i miss on one or two of those picks i'm gonna get value there eventually just because i'm loading up at the position and like you said there are still running backs who like every year in fantasy were able to outperform their draft slot and jump up into those those higher echelons of fantasy production leapfrogging some of these other guys that we might have spent more on. Um, I, I didn't talk about tight ends. There are none of those in the top 20. Again, top 20 is all quarterbacks and a few running backs. Uh, but there are four in the top 40 or top 50, I think. I think Clay, uh, Charles Clay just missed, and 35 tight ends in the top 200. Uh, the top tight end currently is Zach Ertz at number 25 overall with about 80 fantasy points. So just to give you a little bit of context, listeners, on where the tight end premium scoring is affecting this. How, how would, did you approach uh, tight ends in your draft, Scott? Did, I actually didn't look at your roster. Um, who, who do you have at that position? I approached it incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Well, there, especially because the turn I took Kyle Rudolph, I believe I took him on the uh, five, six turn somewhere in there. I was debating Rudolph and Ertz, so that that one is uh, I'll blame my homerism on taking Rudolph there. And then I just took Eric Ebron a little bit later. That's all I took at tight end. I I didn't want to invest this super super high capital, and it didn't really fall to me very well that way. But yeah, Ebron and Rudolph are my guys, and you know they're doing they got about thirty points each. They're they're not they're not crushing it for me, but they're doing okay. Yeah, Rudolph's been one of the more disappointing players, and I really wonder how much different his season would have been if Sam Bradford had stayed healthy, because that was one of the big takeaways for me last season, was how much chemistry those two had together, at least seemed right. to have together. And, you know, I, I was lamenting the loss of Sam Bradford. You're lamenting the loss in a different way uh, as it relates to, <laughs> to Kyle Rudolph. In terms of who's actually, you know, leading the format so far, I, I took a look at the leaderboard today, and I'm I'm probably going to mess up his name, but Jeff Fergerer, 
Do you know how to pronounce yeah, Jeff's I, last name? Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it either, but no, no, let's just, for Yeager, for Ye- yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> let's just go with that. <laughs> for Yearer of Inside the Pylon is currently number one overall, and the backbone of his team is Todd Gurley, Kareem Hunt, Antonio Brown, and Jordy Nelson. I mean, how do you get all those guys? I mean, I get how you get them. Like you said, Hunt was the 10th rounder at the time we were drafting. But one thing I really liked about his roster was that he is one of the guys using the depth of the wide receiver position. Um, if you look at his roster, he's rostering more wide receivers than most other Scott Fishbowl teams. I, I think maybe part of the reason his score is so high is he does have Austin Hooper. So if Hooper was in his week one lineup, that was obviously you know a boon to his production there. I'm curious to see how Hooper's going to pan out now that Julio Jones is a little nicked up and Mohamed Sanu is also uh, injured. But it seems like Jeff's off to a good start. That's half the battle. Um, yeah, it seems real, too. Like, I don't see a downswing. Like, a lot of times you think a team might be super overperforming. I think his quarterbacks can continue. I think Gurley and Hunt can continue. Antonio Brown and Larry Fitz, well, at least Antonio Brown and Jordan Nelson can continue. Evan Ingram, like, up and down the roster, I don't see these guys tailing off either. That's the scary part about his team. Yeah, it seems like tight end is the one part of his roster that might be a little more suspect. Now, he did hit on Evan Ingram. That's been a guy who has really surprised me. But after Evan Ingram, he's got Hooper, Virgil Green, and Gerald Everett. Right. Um, so that's that's a potential weakness there. But I think that's going to be a weakness for a lot of teams. And honestly, I think that you were smart to you know let tight end be your weakness in this format because tight end is such a crapshoot week to week. Right. Yep. Yeah, and no, I, I like that. Um, next up on the leaderboard... Two QBs, team two QBs, man. Brian Malone of, of <laughs> Dynasty League Football. I'm so stoked to see Brian up at the top. He's got uh, Kareem Hunt, of course, <laughs> but he also has Devonta Freeman, uh, Dak Prescott, Rob Gronkowski, and Charles Clay as kind of the backbone of his team, the guys who have really kind of taken him to the top so far. He's carrying 11 running backs on his roster. Have you seen any <laughs> other teams with that many, Scott? I have not. That is that is impressive. That especially because at wide receiver one, you have to three in this format. He only has four, and one is Josh Gordon. Yeah, he effectively only has three wide receivers. So when the bye weeks start to come into play here, he'll have to make some moves. But he's really you know steering into that skid of running back scoring. And you can look at it on his roster. He's rostering all these guys who don't even necessarily have jobs now, but who might come into one just like Aaron Jones did with, uh, like we were talking about with the Packers. He's got Matt Breda uh, from San Francisco. He's got Darren McFadden, Brandon Oliver, uh, Charkandrick West. So he's all in on the, you know, the all running backs plan. And, you know, the scoring settings dictated that. And and this is Mm -hmm. kind of the opposite end of the spectrum compared to Jeff's team that we were just talking about where he said, okay, I'm going to get good wide receivers and and that's going to work. Brian's taking the opposite approach and saying, you know what, running backs score the most, that's what I want. And it's cool to see both of those guys succeeding within the format. Yeah, I kind of wish I had done something like that. And Charles Clay and Rob Gronkowski attend with with the two and a half points per round is probably rushing. Uh, Charles Clay, as, as I've mentioned several times recently, over the last eight weeks, going back to last year, he's tight end two. It's unreal what that guy's doing. Yeah, man. He's a guy who I was all over after they traded Sammy Watkins. The problem was is these Scott Fishbowl drafts were taking place before that, right? So I have Charles Clay everywhere except for the one place where he's really, you know, delivering well above expectation. And so let's move on. Let's get to the the guy who's third on the leaderboard. And we won't go down the whole thing, but I want to give a shout out to Aaron Southard or or Southard. Uh, he's a, he's one of the fans and he's in third place, man. This is not an analyst necessarily, but it, clearly he knows his stuff because he has Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, Stephon Diggs, and Zach Ertz. I mentioned that Ertz was the top uh, tight end scorer so far in Scott Fishbowl. Diggs is the top wide receiver scorer so far. So you can see exactly where he's getting that production from. It'll be interesting to see if Diggs, you know, with the loss of Sam Bradford can continue to be this high end receiver we want him to be. But I mean, I don't necessarily see him slowing down in terms of the format scoring. Do you? Like, I feel like Diggs is still a guy who's going to get a lot of first downs, regardless of who the quarterback is. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you on that. I think that Diggs will probably end the season, in this format especially, probably top five without much difficulty, definitely top 10 or 12. Yeah, and Aaron's another guy who's not really worried about wide receiver or not 
really getting much production from the wide receiver position. Only two of his wide receivers are over 30 fantasy points for the year, uh, Diggs and Keenan Allen. He's only carrying two quarterbacks, though, Cam and Andy Dalton, both of whom feel, you know, a little shaky to me. I I, I do worry about Aaron's prospects going forward, but I, I think this is going to be, it'll be interesting to see how, how this team fares going, uh, moving, moving ahead. Yep. Unlike Jeff, this is a team you can definitely see potential for serious decline. I, I hate to say that. I hope you upset about that, but that I, I can see some decline, especially with Zeke gets his puppy all over here. You know what's really crazy to me about this is that Brian and Aaron are in the same division. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. And and the other like kind of curious note I saw is that Jeff and Brian both own Jacoby Brissett. And he's one of the guys who I'm using, you know, in replacement of Tannehill and Sam Bradford. So that gives me a little bit of hope moving forward. We're all on team Brissett and that's gonna that's gonna carry me away from my two and two record up to the you know, the lofty heights of Brian Malone and Jeff Fierro. <laughs> oh, well, good luck with that. I, I, it's it's a tough competition every year. I I secretly and weirdly I came in second the very first year, but secretly and weirdly since then I have not wanted to win it. Like I want someone else to have that joy of winning this thing. You know, uh, <laughs> it's not that no one will think it's rigged, especially after my one in eleven season. But uh, <laughs> I I just don't uh, I don't know. I want I want someone else to have the the enjoyment of winning this thing well that's overly kind of you i think like i <laughs> i think it, it's part of what i love about the scott fishbowl is kind of the the rooting for everybody aspect of it because we're all in our own divisions and we don't necessarily interact with each other until the very end of the year it's just such a big community event and i i almost don't care who wins like i want to win and i want to see like my friends from around the community do well but I just love the spectacle of it. I love the sense of community we get from it. And that's, that's a testament to you, Scott. This is, this is awesome stuff. Yeah. I I didn't even, thanks man. And honestly, when I designed this, this whole thing, I didn't realize that having such a large number, I worried that it would dilute it. But what really happened in it is that you don't get that like vitriol of anger of, you know, like rivalry quite as much because everybody knows at the end of the season, you all get lumped together and you kind of root for each other up until that final week. And then you root for whoever your friends are that are still left. It's it's a pretty positive thing most of the way through, which I like. Yeah, I can't wait to see how it all plays out. Um, you got anything else you want to talk about with the SFB before we move on? We got some uh, general like week four and week five stuff to take care of next. No, let's jump on to week four and week five. All right. So let's recap what we just saw in week four. Um, and... The biggest quarterback developments, you know, we are a two QB site. We, we focus on two quarterback and super flex formats. We got to talk about the injuries first. Derek Carr injured. I can't remember the, the name of the injury, but it's, it's crazy sounding and it's, it's a broken something in his back, but apparently it's not that big of a deal as far as back injuries go. Um, Tony Romo's had this injury before. Cam Newton's had this injury before and each of them only missed one game. I don't know if Carr is going to get off so lucky, but EJ Manuel is slated to start for week five, possibly beyond. How do you feel about EJ Manuel going forward? He's kind of a must add in two quarterback formats with 10 teams or more, but do you think he's going to be a guy who you might actively look to start in certain matchups? Uh, maybe. I, I don't know how many matchups you're even going to get him for. Right? He's one of those that Given the injury and given that others have come back, even if Carr misses a game or two, I don't even know how much money I would want to spend on trying to get Manuel. I think he's definitely a guy you would try to pick up this weekend. I don't know, man. It really depends on your roster, I guess. But I'm I'm not loving I'm not loving the situation. That, that's for sure. Well, yeah. I mean, you don't really want to start him this week against Baltimore. I mean, I think he is right. at home. That's the point. But that defense is good, and and while they haven't looked as good in the past couple of weeks, that is just not the type of matchup where you want to use a, an unknown quantity like Manuel. But if <laughs> Like if he's if that's the only game he starts, then you would have wasted whatever fab you spent on him, any waiver priority you used. I, I'm with you. I think that I think I have him ranked my 20th quarterback this week, so it would have to be not the super flex, but missing buy and stuff as well. Yeah, and that's not good. But he is a guy that we need to be aware of, and like you said, you, you'll probably put a claim on him, just not the same you know level of claim you would put on a QB who you knew was going to be starting for more than one week. 
the other QB who was injured uh, in week four was Marcus Mariota. And Matt Castle came in after the half and was terrible, as Matt Castle typically is. It sounds like this Mariota injury is not quite as threatening long-term as, as we need to be worried about, but they did sign Brandon Whedon as, you know, insurance there. And that, that does worry me. Usually when a team brings in another backup, that tells you that something, something else is going on or, or yeah. maybe the, the problem is bigger than it seems. What, what do you think about this situation going forward, Scott? I think it reminds me exactly of when the Vikings decided to uh, sign Kyle Slaughter off of the practice squad. We kind of knew, yeah, okay, Bradford's going to miss some time <laughs> if they're going to bring in this quarterback right now, uh, especially so early in the week. I realize that Mariota is day-to-day, but, I mean, he clearly on the sideline said he heard it pop or felt it pop or something. You know, hamstrings can be tricky, and even if even if he comes in, you could lose the running aspect. You could uh, he could go back out. I don't I don't know how much I love Castle, especially since it's such a running offense. I think they'll just run more. I I don't even know that Castle. I think I have Castle right ahead of Man, Manuel as like uh, EJ Manuel as twenty seventh quarterback this week. So neither of them I'm really too too excited about. Yeah, another bad sign is they've already ruled out Corey Davis for the game, and that was especially early as well. To the point where, yeah, you're right. They're, they're just going to want to run the ball in this game, re- almost regardless of who the QB is. Like, even if Mariota is in there, we don't know how much he's going to be passing. The fact that it was his hamstring, like you said, means that the rushing upside may not be there. This is a scary situation. I think if you're a Mariota owner, you have to be worried. And I'm not really interested in Matt Castle in any capacity, like, whatsoever. No, mm-mm. no right. I've seen too much of him. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you and me both. Um, next up. Mike Lennon, benched. He's been pretty bad all season. Mitchell Trubisky's going to finally get his shot. But we're still talking about a rookie. We're talking about a rookie who did not start much in college either. Are you optimistic at all for Trubisky? Or is this another guy who you're kind of hoping is going to end up being someone else's problem? Uh, I am I guess I'm optimistic. But, I mean, what what is he have? He's got Jordan Howard and Tara Cohen. And then his wide receivers are not the most enticing weapons in the world right yeah he does he did a, he, he is getting a nice like gap thursday night game to a monday night game so uh sitting is going to be able to get healthy jordan howard's going to be able to get healthy trubisky's going to have that extra long amount of time to game plan and prepare for this specific opponent i i think it could be a sneaky okay game for trubisky in this first game out which sounds kind of weird <laughs> but uh uh yeah i i don't i don't know how much i love him long term but uh th- this week could be an interesting in- interesting play yeah i mean the upside with him relative to a guy like castle or ej manuel is the fact that we we kind of know he's he's their long-term plan like he's the guy they want to be starting yeah. so he's going to have a longer leash there's a good chance he'll be starting for the bears for the rest of the year so if you are going to use a waiver claim or or maybe trade for Trubisky if you're really desperate for a QB but don't want to spend too much, you're at least getting a guy who should be starting for the balance of the season, and that and that does have value. Yep, that that has a lot of value. It's a, a starting quarterback in a superflex always has value, and it's pretty rare. I mean, you have to be terrible to bring in a rookie and then pull the rookie back out. Uh, that I just don't. See, you're right. I do not see that happening at all. Just. Kind of sidebar off of that point, are you worried at all about Deshaun Kaiser and his, you know, role as the starter in Cleveland? Because he he got the gig right out of the gate, but he hasn't been especially good. He's had some flashes, but terrible. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm worried about him holding that job going forward if he continues to play like this. Do you have similar concerns? Uh, I I think that he'll be able to to fend it off for most of this year. Uh, I th- I think they'll have a lot of questions at the end of the year if if he doesn't. Uh, he he's bottom starting quarterback in in several stat categories, which is just really really concerning. Uh, I I don't know that the Browns are going to like late in the season when the Browns aren't competing. I think they're they're still going to be you know, let's see what we have in Kaiser. So I, I'm not too worried this year, honestly. It does seem like they're asking him to do too much as a rookie. And, and that worries me, but it also gives me, uh, it worries me because it doesn't really set him up for success, but it gives me some confidence in that 
it, it seems like they would know that, you know, they would know the limitations of their own players. And if they're asking him to, you know, throw this much and throw deep as often and not try to, you know, hide him with the running game, that probably means that they're comfortable with him being the starter going forward and they're, and they're comfortable hmm. with him making mistakes, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I had not thought of. Yeah. So I, I, I think that I'm with you. I have a feeling he's going to hold that job long term, but I, I do have some concerns, especially because even if he doesn't get benched for a, a certain string of games, there is always the concern in game that maybe he'll get, you know, just benched at halftime or in the fourth quarter for Kevin Hogan or, or Cody Kessler or whoever else. And that, that's, that's not great. Let's move away from quarterbacks. Let's talk about the other big news from around the NFL and Dalvin Cook, man. What a bummer. Out for the season. Latavius Murray, Jerick, and Cannon are kind of next in line there in the Minnesota backfield. Did you own Cook anywhere? Are you a, a are you invested in Cook fantasy-wise? I wish. Yeah, right? <laughs> not right now so much, but I, I wish. I, he He's a guy I was not able to get my hands on in any leagues. And, he, man, did he look really, really good. But uh, it is what it is. And we, we got Latavius Murray thinking he would be our starter. Cook fell to us after Green Bay decided they didn't need a running back for some reason at the top of the second there. And, and ironically, with the Vikings pick later in that round, the Chiefs took Kareem Hunt. So who knows what could have happened if uh, things played out differently. But I love Cook. I love I still love him in Dynasty. Players are coming back from 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 ACLs, but it's Lat- Latavius Murray and Jared McKinnon's show now and I I really don't think that they're they're rosterable, but man, I would never want to co- count on them in fantasy going forward. I I think this this is one of those things that sinks the entire Vikings ship just a little. Yeah, the thing that I'm most curious about with this situation, this is really dark of me to think this way, but Murray is already saying he's not 100% coming back from ankle surgery or whatever that surgery was that he had, and McKinnon's dinged up as well. Yep. What happens if, if one or both of these guys does get hurt? Are we are we seeing Matt Asiata come back into the fold? Like, who's who's the backup plan to these two guys? Um, you, you seem a little bit more in tune with the Vikings than I am. Do you, do you have any ideas who you know, is, is kind of the next in line after Murray and McKinnon? What, you don't think they're going to give Bishop Sankey a try? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's currently behind them. I I would not be surprised if they talked back to Matt Asiata. I would not be surprised if they kicked the tires on guys like Ryan Matthews or something. But but honestly, I <laughs> I don't know. I'm... I'm little worried that they'll retreat back to Ronnie Hillman or Matt Asiata or or just try to run out Bishop Sankey. It's just going to be a, a running back by committee of just crap, I think, at that point. And behind the, – the line has been better this year, but you kind of wonder if it's been better because the offense has been able to get the ball out so quick and because Dalvin Cook has been so good. So maybe that will regress as well. I'm I'm scared for all of it. Yeah, and meanwhile, Case Keenum is still their starting QB as far as we know, and that's that's not helping anybody. Yeah, that, that offense is one that you have to be concerned yeah. about going forward. You mentioned Ryan Matthews, and, and he wasn't a player I was planning on talking about with you, but I'm, I've am i been kind of fascinated with him since the offseason. Is he a guy who you're stashing anywhere? Because I have a couple leagues where I, I'm doing it because it seems like with the amount of turnover we're seeing at the running back position, eventually somebody's going to, like you said, kick the tires on Matthews. What do you think about him as a, you know, kind of a, a lottery ticket moving forward? I guess he's a fine one. I, I don't have him stashed anywhere because either my leagues are so, my dynasty, some of my dynasties are so deep that he's already stashed or it's just, I don't know, maybe I just don't have him <laughs> in seven or eight leagues. I don't, I don't have him anywhere. I don't know. It just feels like there are other running backs. It's like JD McKissick, you know, like other running backs that come up weekly that I'd rather take a shot on who actually have, you know, actually on teams right now. Matthews had good stats last year, so it's really interesting what's happened. But I'm going to trust all the NFL GMs out there that for some reason aren't aren't kicking the tires on him with all these running back injuries. Yeah, that's the biggest red flag for me is that I kind of figured that by now, considering the state of the running back position, that somebody would have taken a chance. And it just hasn't happened yet. And so I'm getting pretty close to cutting him in most of the spots where I own him. There's, there's one league where I own him where I, I can't cut anybody. It's one of those draft and, and forget it. I mean, I set lineups every week, so I'm, I'm hoping that maybe he gets signed and I might be able to use him, but uh, there are no moves or trades in that one, so I'm, I'm stuck with him. We'll see how it works out. Um, let's keep going. Uh, Chris Carson, 
to the IR. I mentioned this earlier. He was on my SFB team. Eddie Lacy, Thomas Rawls, CJ Precise, JD McKissick. What are you doing with this messy Seattle backfield? I'm pretty much avoiding it. Yeah. Precise, I mean, he was the guy I liked in the preseason. And then, and then when Carson ex- kind of exploded before the season even started, I picked him up basically everywhere. So I was, I was really excited for one or either of those. And CJ just keeps getting injured. So I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm avoiding the crap out of it right now. It it scares me a little too much. I, I feel like even if one of them breaks out for a week or two, then it'll be someone else or an injury. So I, I just I can't get my heart broken again, man. <laughs> no, I to- I'm totally with you. And it's been interesting to me how Pete Carroll has played this situation in the media. It seems like no matter what he's said publicly, that hasn't equated to what we see on the field. But at the same time, he's giving us very clear actions on the field. Like when he said Thomas Rawls is the starter and then Chris Carson went out there and tore it up like at the end of the fourth quarter, two weeks ago, or maybe it was three weeks ago. And then he, you know, he was the clear guy to own last week before he broke his ankle. The one thing I like about this situation is that whoever you see get that lead dog role in week five is probably going to be the guy you want to own moving forward because we saw him do that with Chris Carson. Right. And, I don't know if I if I had to guess, like I would probably put my money on Eddie Lacy just because he's the guy we've most recently seen do it. But McKissick seems fine. Um, that's muddied by the fact that Procise could come back as that pass catcher. I don't know. I'm with you. I, th- I think this is kind of a stay away. If you own some <laughs> yeah. of them, like hold them. Don't be afraid to. I mean, maybe take a, a flyer here on the waiver wire on McKissick. But I, I don't think you're going to want to start these guys until we get a clearer picture of of who is being used the most. Yep, absolutely. I'm, I'm really stay, I, I might, I might even stay away even after we find that out or it'll probably be too late because someone else will have him. We mentioned the Aaron Jones kind of, uh, breakout or, or not breakout, but you know, Aaron Jones kind of coming into power in the Green Bay backfield. But another player who was injured for Green Bay in week four was Devontae Adams and he took a really nasty hit. It was, it was big. It was brutal. It was not pretty to watch. Definitely had a concussion. They're treating him for that now. And reports are that that's the only injury they're treating him for. I don't know if I fully buy that, but how interested are you, Scott, in Geronimo Allison going forward? Well, I can't get him. He's picked up everywhere, <laughs> really, in, Fair. In, the, in the leagues I'm in. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm, obviously the game against the Bengals makes you really excited for him, right? I mean, <laughs> it's it's hard not to be excited after something like that. But – I, I'm kind of more in the line of I feel like Devontae Adams is going to be back, uh, if not this week, very soon. So as a one-game thing, I you know, if he's available, maybe as a spot fill. But other than that, I, I, I don't know how, how excited I am uh, about trying to acquire him right now. Yeah, that was my beef with picking up Geronimo you know, a couple weeks ago after that Cincinnati game was that, you know, we saw that Cobb was on his way back. We, we saw that. Nelson and uh, Adams were still healthy at that point. There just wasn't really a whole lot of s- snaps or, or whatever routes for him to to take over if those guys were all healthy. And like you said, if Adams gets back within a game or two, Allison's only going to be a part-time fill-in. But I don't know. I, I could see it happening You know, this week where, where he's a guy who you might want to use if Adams is ruled out. Um, that third receiver role in Green Bay is good um, just because Aaron Rodgers is good. That's just how it works. Anything else you got from week four uh, before we we dive into our awards for the quarterbacks? Oof, no, no, I love awards. Let's do some awards. The boom of the week. This is the uh, quarterback who performed the best, at least relative to expectations. Uh, There are a lot of good options. Uh, I think that uh, we can start up top with Deshaun Watson. And I want to kick this off before we decide on who our boom of the week is uh, with a listener question that that I got on Twitter. And I thought this was curious. He says, who would you rather own rest of the season, Deshaun Watson or Jameis Winston? And it scared me how long I had to think about it. What, what yes. do you think about these two? Uh, I'm probably leaning Winston. Yeah, I mean, he scored a touchdown in, what, 33 of his 35 games or whatever it is so far. I And and he's throwing a whole lot more multiple touchdown games recently. I think four out of his list, last six games were multiple touchdowns. Uh, 300 yards, uh, what, three games in a row now? I mean, he's... 
I just feel a little more secure because of the track record. I love Watson. Don't get me wrong. And I, I, when I saw this on the sh- the the notes, I'm like, ooh, that is really interesting. It's a great question. Like it, it took me a little bit to think about it, but I think I've leaned towards Watson or Winston. But I will not knock anyone that says Watson. That was half the the part for me is like I was trying to type out a response to this guy on Twitter and I kept on getting the names confused. And so at that point, I just threw my hands in the air and said, I I don't know. But um, no, just kidding. Um, I I do think it is Winston. Watson, as good as he's been, has had a really easy schedule so far. Like his past two games have been against, you know, two of the best defenses you could possibly face. Uh, His schedule gets a lot tougher moving forward. And Winston, on the other hand, has a pretty easy schedule. I mean, that division they're in is not particularly imposing. So I think it's Winston. A couple other options for Boom of the Week. Uh, Cam Newton, of course, kind of with a bounce-back game against New England. Uh, talking about good matchups. Uh, Andy Dalton, Eli Manning, yeah. Alex Smith, Jared Goff. Is it one of those guys? Is it somebody else for you? Who is the guy who performed best relative to your expectations in Week 4? Man, I... Maybe Watson, just because I, I, I mean, even though he had a, a good matchup, uh, I didn't, I didn't really see that kind of explosion coming. I mean, Newton had looked terrible, but he had, you know, he played the 31st worst defense last week and the 32nd worst this week. I mean, like you, you could, you could guess that was going to happen. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember who Dalton played. Cleveland, right? I mean, that's a good match. Up, Goff, I totally called having having a decent week. So I'm, I guess I'm gonna have to go Watson just because, just because I I think there was like a shaded doubt. I lo- I love Watson, but there was I didn't expect a, a huge giant ridiculous fantasy week. Yeah, um, last week I, I ran a new article called Game Flobotics A to Z, and I was really touting that Tennessee Houston game as one with potential for a lot of points. I was like, you know, you got to take the over in this game. Look for some of these secondary receivers to get involved. Of course, I played. Ryan Griffin over guys like Wolf Fuller and Steven Anderson, but uh, now I'm just digressing. But um, even in only a half, Mariota posted the QB 16 finish for the week. He scored almost 16 fantasy points. Uh, Watson did go to town. I didn't expect Houston to score 50-plus points. Like, that was huge. But this was a matchup that I was excited about that I wanted action on in fantasy. I, I, sh- I think in hindsight I should have given more weight to the matchup for Newton based upon that. And that's why, for me, it's Newton. He did lay such a stink bomb against the Saints that I figured that, you know, even this New England matchup that he had wasn't going to be a saving grace like Tennessee was for Watson. I think my expectations for Cam were just lower, and that's why he's more of a a boom in my mind. But I think Mm -hmm. both those guys are are, that's 1A, 1B for me. I I do like Goff as an honorable mention. I like that you called that. That's, that's, um, That's impressive because I... I don't know. I just didn't trust Goff that much. I still don't. He's had four really choice matchups, uh, but he has proven to be competent within that context, right? Like, if he has a good matchup, he's proven that he can deliver there. Right. And his schedule does get much tougher moving forward. Uh, Seattle, Jacksonville, Arizona, all before their bye in Week 8. And then after the bye, he goes on the road uh, against the Giants. Then he gets Houston and at Minnesota. So all six of Yikes. those teams have pretty good wow. defenses. If you have Goff and you can sell him for something now, I think it's a good time. What do you think about that? That's that is really good. That's a terrible. Sc- I will say the Vikings, we are letting up like fifth most passing yards because our run defense is somehow really really tough. But uh, yeah, that whole schedule is is not good. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, for for me, I think Goff kind of deserves like honorable mention status. But I am worried about him going forward. I think this might be the last boom we see from him in a while. And I agree with you that Dalton Manning and Alex Smith all just had good matchups, and those were kind of a little bit more predictable. Bust of the week. Now, who was the worst quarterback for you, Scott, relative to your expectations? Oh, this, this one's tough, looking at you, the five you listed, because I thought Trevor Simeon was going to have a good week, and he did not. Me too. J, Jay Cutler, I thought, was not going to – I had Jay Cutler as my 19th-ranked quarterback, and and a friend of mine – had him as his fifth ranked just because of the New Orleans matchup. Given the matchup, you would have expected Cutler to at least throw for a couple hundred and a touchdown or two. And I, I think I got to go with that as the bust of the week. Even even though I had him ranked low, I did not really expect him to be that bad. Yeah, for me, it's Matt Ryan. I think that the fantasy world has kind of come to regard him as somewhat matchup proof. And I'll include myself in mm. that. Like, I think that he's a guy who. Most weeks, I think, is going to be startable in a two-quarterback format. 
And while the Buffalo defense has been pretty good, I assumed Ryan would be fine against them, especially because they were at home in Atlanta. I have a feeling the Falcons might have just been looking forward a little bit too much to their bye week. Maybe they thought they could breeze past the Bills. And, you know, Buffalo showed up to play like they've been doing all season, and they really took it to the Falcons. I think that Ryan's it for me. Cutler is the the dishonorable mention for me in this one. I think circling back to what we talked about with Cam Newton earlier about how he underperformed against the Saints defense, is this maybe a matchup that's more imposing that we want to admit for quarterbacks? Yeah, I think I think the the first two weeks for the Saints were maybe not exactly who they were. Uh, so I I think. I I don't know what to think, but I tend to lean recency bias, and may, maybe maybe that's uh, that's more who they are as who we've seen more recently. Speaking on Matt Ryan, that Buffalo defense, what the heck, man? They're legit. We're talking we're talking about a defense that allowed three two hundred yard rushers last year, and this year they they're holding everyone down. They're they're fourth in run the on the passing side. They've only allowed one passing touchdown. It's unreal, unreal what they're doing right now. Yeah, I think that's something that's uh, uh, got to regress to some extent, though, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's it, it, you, you can't stay at that. They're not gonna they're not gonna hold hold quarterbacks to four passing touchdowns this year. That's that's obviously not gonna happen. But <laughs> yeah, right now it's it's looking pretty good. And and they traded away their best cornerback uh, before the season started and are still doing this yeah that's crazy to me that was something that i was really leaning into with my analysis in the first few weeks was oh well they got rid of their best corner this is a matchup that we can attack with you know pass catchers and it's been completely the opposite it's been really frustrating yeah yeah definitely um, couple other, you know, potential candidates who we didn't really talk about. Tyrod Taylor, uh, Matthew Stafford. Um, both those guys were pretty poor in spots that looked okay. I mean, the Stafford matchup wasn't ideal, and Tyrod is more just disappointing considering the fact that they won that game and he still didn't do much for fantasy. That was a little surprising to me. Right. But Buffalo really just seems to be getting to film with their defense. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Anything else you want to note for week four before we get into our preview for next week? No, you're really good at hitting everything with quarterbacks. You guys, you guys do a thorough show. <laughs> well, it's it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, hopefully, we're not keeping you too long here. But oh no, not at all. Let's dive into week five. Uh, and here we like to—they're not really awards, but I guess th- these are just kind of um, little outlook things that we do. We we have a streamer of the week and a clipboard holder of the week. And the streamer of the week is you know a a guy who might be lesser owned in a one quarterback format uh, or a guy who might normally ride the bench for you in a two QB format, but who you'll be more interested in starting for the upcoming week, given the matchup. And we've got a lot of good options here. Uh, I think there are a couple games where there, <laughs> there are two QBs that are both bad on each side that could potentially be streamers. Like the first is um, McCown at, at Cincinnati is a potential streamer. Um, Indy San Francisco is the other game I'm thinking of where you have Brian Hoyer versus Brissett. Uh, there are a few other QB streaming options this week. Um, who do you like the most, Scott? Well, of your list, it'd have to be Watson versus KC, but uh, I don't know that he's a viable streamer anymore. I think I he's either either owned or, you know, or, or just almost a star- starter at this point. <laughs> but I think that there's a possibility people – this is I I even hate saying this that people dropped Cutler after last week and, and maybe maybe we're gonna look at the same thing that happened to Cam he's got another decent matchup against Tennessee uh, maybe he, maybe he throws up a couple don't give a crap type touchdowns in this one I I can see him having a decent week against Tennessee and I can see him being probably readily available in in a decent amount of leagues. Yeah, so this is great because I have very similar notes for both these guys. I agree that Watson probably can't be considered a streaming candidate anymore, but that Kansas City defense is legitimate. I think this is a more questionable start-sit call than last week against Tennessee, but I think if you have Watson, he might be an every-week starter at this point. Um, Cutler, I'm glad you brought him back up because this is the second week in a row where we're testing his value in a really good matchup. And to be fair, he doesn't have to travel to London for this one. Um, did that London aspect of Week 4 factor into your ranking of him so low? Because you mentioned you had him at QB 19. It did. In fact, I, I told that to we have a you know a little cluster of desks, and I mentioned 
and how I was kind of avoiding all the and it didn't pay off in the 49ers Rams game. But I, I've been kind of ranking Thursday and London games lower than I probably should. There was an interesting stat that the the last what nine games at Wembley the the score or six games at Wembley the score had topped fifty total points, so that scared me a little. But yes, that's that's that is part of the reason I dropped Cutler down, and and I just thought there were a lot of good quarterback matchups last week too. There really were, and but I mean part of the problem was that one of them that we thought we saw was Jay Cutler, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I agree with you though. I think he's probably the best bet here of the guys who are going to be more readily available or kind of lower valued by consensus. Um, that Tennessee defense, man, they just really are not very good. And I think this is a, a good spot for Cutler to bounce back. Like you said, just like Cam did the previous week, I am going to give a little shout out here to Jacoby Brissett um, at home against San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably a better fantasy matchup for Hoyer. When you look at what the two defenses have done, but Hoyer's just been so bad. I don't think I could recommend him over Brissett. And I think now that Trubisky is starting, C.J. Bathard feels like the next rookie in line to take over uh, a starting job. So I don't know how much longer Hoyer's got. I just think that Brissett's a better fantasy player than Hoyer anyway. He adds that rushing upside, uh, 23 yards per game, through his three starts, two touchdowns on the ground, both albeit against Cleveland. But I, I think this is a good spot for Brissett. And I will be using him in SFB. I probably won't have to use him anywhere else thankfully but he's a guy who if you're desperate i think you can start just like i i am as a, a desperate owner in the skyfish bowl yeah i think that's a good call i i do like matchup. i mean they've they just allowed uh, like palmer and goff to tear them up the last couple of weeks so uh maybe maybe this is one Again, maybe the last two weeks is who the San Francisco defense really is. I can't remember uh, the first two weeks, but I know the last two weeks they've been torn apart. What do you think about Flacco at Oakland? I think that Oakland Ugh, defense has man. been better than we want to admit, but they've still given up a fair amount of fantasy points to to passers. I just don't know if Flacco is good at all. Like, and not this isn't like a is Flacco elite joke thing anymore. Like, Flacco might just be like a bottom five quarterback in the NFL. Oh man, Lindsey okay is. Is about to get angry. Um, <laughs> I, I thought Trevor Simeon was going to do well with that same matchup last week, and I like Trevor Simeon a lot more than I like Joe Flacco. So, uh, no, I'm I'm not loving on Joe Flacco right now. I think Joe Flacco is even in Superflex, depending on how desperate you are. Joe Flacco is is firmly in in bench mode, honestly. Yep, totally agree. A few other desperation plays you can look at. We don't really have to dive into any of these unless you want to, Scott, but uh, Case Keenum at Chicago. Blake Bortles at Pittsburgh is terrifying. Matt Castle at Miami. The matchup is good, but again, it's Matt Castle. And then Trubisky versus Minnesota. Um, I, let's talk about that one, actually. That's one where you noted that the Vikings have given up a lot of passing yards, and I think you even earlier in the show talked about Trubisky as a potential sneaky start here, considering how much time he's had to prepare. Where do you think he'll rank for you? Or have you done your rankings with Trubisky yet for week five? I did do my rankings already for week five. Uh, I probably should have had them up while we were talking. Yeah, it looks like I have him slotted in at 25 right now, which obviously is just out of the range of, um, you know, a two QB 12 start 12. But I, like I did say, it is, it is sneaky and it depends on, you know, who has them and what their quarterback situation is. But the Vikings, I know they held Stafford down. That was kind of just a really weird game. But before that, uh, it felt like Breeze, Roethlisberger, and Winston were able to, you know, do some decent things against the Vikings. Trubisky is not them, and Trubisky does not have their weapons. But I think if you're really, really, really desperate, all that extra time and, and pass catching backs are, have been good against the Vikings, and both Howard and uh Cohen have been pretty decent at that the last couple of weeks, believe it or not. Uh, so I think that I think that it, it could be a sneaky a sneaky okay game for him. But we're talking like QB twenty five, QB twenty three. We're not talking a top twelve week. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of these other guys are going to be in similar spots, though. How, I guess let, let's let me torture you a little bit more with this. Would you rather start Trubisky or Flacco? Trubisky. How about Trubisky or Keenum? Even with. <sighs> Uh, oh, probably Keenum. <laughs> okay. You were going to say something about uh, Trubisky versus Flacco. I'm sorry. I cut you off. 
No, no, just I cannot trust Flacco. Flacco can throw up a thirty-two point, a thirty-two yard game. I, I don't think, I don't think even Trubisky can do that. How about Trubisky versus Bortles? Oof, and, oh man, Bortles is against Pittsburgh. Well, I have Bortles ranked twenty-second, so I should probably hold true to my rankings, right? But uh, that that is a tough one. That is something that I love, though. I like. Because I do rankings too, and a lot of the times what I'll find is I'll do my rankings for the week. I'll look at a bunch of, you know, matchup analysis, right? Looking at numbers, statistics, and all that. And then when it comes time to actually answer a question, like that Watson versus Winston question I was talking about earlier, I'll find myself thinking about it harder when it's, when I just have to zero in on two players. And I think this is one case, like Bortles and Trubisky, where I could stare at that long enough to the point where I would decide that Trubisky actually is the better play, even if yeah. I originally ranked him lower. So I, I understand your frustration there for sure. Yeah, and I I, I once created a, a site, a tool called FlipRanks, where you did exactly that. You did matchup versus or player versus player, and you picked one, picked this one, picked, and it created a set of rankings, which which I I found was a you know kind of the backwards way of of doing that. But this is uh that is a tough one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I do love that aspect of like kind of the psychology of fantasy football and thinking about what what is really going on in my brain when I can, you know, look at the data and rank them one way and then when it comes time to pick one to start, I my brain might tell me something different. Like intuition does matter. Yeah, I for me, a lot of times, yeah, it it becomes just a gut call because Either you are just tired of looking at the data, the stats, yes. and you're like, oh, screw this. I'm, I, you know, I've looked over this a million times. I just, this is what I think. <laughs> I think, I think that tends to, by the end of the week, when you, when you actually have to make that call, I think that's part of what plays into it for me. Yeah. Let's get into uh, the opposite end of the spectrum, the clipboard holder of the week. And this is where we pick a, a more established quarterback who we're probably looking to bench for the upcoming week. And in week five, we've got, you know, a few solid options here. There aren't a whole lot of terrible matchups, but are, is there one to you that stands out uh, creating maybe a, a, a spot where you're not going to want to use the quarterback from the opposite team? From that list, even though we we're calling regression, uh, on Buffalo's defense, I, I, there's no way I'm starting Andy Dalton. I mean, man, I, I should check where I have him ranked this week, but I do not love that matchup at all, especially since they've only given up one passing touchdown this year. Uh, the, the rest of them though, I, you know, I, I think Stafford can rebound. I, I think that, I think Tyrod can probably rebound. Cam Newton seems to be, have found actually who he might be. And I, Palmer is just, they have to pass. They have yeah. to pass. Uh-huh. They have nothing else. And and even if their pass is Andre Ellington taking on David jo- David Johnson's uh, receiving role, which is basically a receiver two, <laughs> passing. So I, I actually like Palmer. I, I think Palmer like ranked eighth or ninth. This um, It's got to be Dalton from that list. For- yeah, I think Palmer's an interesting case because the Philly defense is – good when they're healthy they're just not healthy right now so if you know maybe we see some reports leading up to game time that some of those defenders are going to play I think that would scare me more off Palmer in this matchup he's traveling east to west it's an early start time on the east coast and normally this would be a matchup that I would be afraid of but like you said it's it's a team in Arizona that has to throw Palmer is at the center of that and you know he's been performing well enough I, I think that he's a viable starter Dalton's an interesting one to me. I did put him on the list because of that Buffalo matchup, but I, I think for me, a matchup that also scares me in a similar way is Cam Newton at Detroit. Um, mm-hmm. Detroit has been sneaky good against quarterbacks. They haven't allowed more than 14 standard fantasy points to a QB in a single game. The average stat line against them is about 250 yards, a touchdown, and two INTs. So quarterbacks have not been faring well against the Lions. I'm interested to see if Cam's rushing ability comes into into play in this one because Detroit has yet to face anybody who isn't, you know, just like a pocket passer. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I think that we might be due for a letdown game from Cam here, and he, he'd be a guy who I might be a little further down on despite the fact that he looked to have gotten right last week. Um, the the other guy I'm really worried about here is Roethlisberger. And yes, I, yes. I know that Big Ben is at home here, and that and that usually means that he's going to play better. But 
he hasn't really looked quite himself so far this season, kind of regardless of those home road splits. And maybe that's just early season rust. I'm just worried about this matchup. The Jags have by far been the best fantasy defense against QBs. They have only allowed 6.2 fantasy points per game to opposing quarterbacks. Now, a lot of that has to do with the schedule that you know features starters like Tom Savage, Joe Flacco, and Josh McCown. Like So Ben Roethlisberger is certainly better than that. We did see, I think, Mariota light up the Jags. But I don't know. I think that this Pittsburgh offense is... It seems like it's better when it's when it's Le'Veon Bell's show and not Roethlisberger's show, and that's the thing that really worries me. That's so true. That's so true. Like you look at that map and you think, man, this is this is gonna be tough. But you're right; they haven't even faced really much of anything. Uh, I I get this weird feeling that Antonio Bra- this whole Antonio Brown and Big Ben thing will result. Well, I won't go into that, but I think what might be the result of all this drama is that Ben and Antonio Brown go out and show the world, hey, everything's fine. Look at us. We're, you know, we'll lighten it up again. Uh, and I think that that might happen this week with Jacksonville. Yeah, and you can never rule that out with a player as good as Antonio Brown either. And that's why I, I think that your call with Dalton is probably the best one, just based upon, you know, how good that Buffalo defense has looked and how bad that offensive line in Cincinnati has looked. So, yeah, I, I like the Dalton call. I, I do think there are some serious concerns for Cam and for Roethlisberger, I had Russell Wilson listed here uh, going on the road at the Rams, but I'm sorry. I just can't bench Russell Wilson. He's just looked – I mean, even though their team hasn't looked great, this might be another situation like with Palmer, um, what you noted, how they only have to pass. Like now that they're losing all these running backs, like Chris Carson's out now, this might just be that point in the Seattle season that we usually don't get until, what, like week seven or eight? Um, where they just turn into the Russell Wilson passing fest. So I, I, I we saw Brian Hoyer light up the Rams. Like, I'm not benching Russell Wilson. I, I think that he's a, a top-ten starter still. No, yeah, and especially because, I mean, the Rams are the highest-scoring team in the NFL. That's definitely going to regress. But because of it, teams have to pass to catch up, and that's resulted in, what, the uh, an average of 300 yards the last two games and five total touchdowns, I mean, or six total touchdowns out of quarterbacks. and yeah, Russell Wilson's going to get his, I think, this week. Yeah, I agree. Um, anything else you're interested in for the upcoming week? Uh, no. We, we went through, feels like, 25 quarterbacks in that uh, for week five. Yeah, we usually do. Um, I, I, I am looking forward to Thursday Night Football for the second week in a row. I really want to oh, see yeah. if Tampa Bay can run wild like all these other New England opponents, despite the short week. Like, Do you think that we're going to see Jameis kind of pick up where all these other quarterbacks have left off against the Patriots? Yeah, in fact, my bold predictions article, I guaranteed him to have 350 yards and three touchdowns, Woo! and I have him as my QB1. So, uh, yes, I think my answer would be to that one. Yeah, uh, the other stuff I'm looking for, always looking for potential quarterback switches. I mentioned uh, C.J. Bethard earlier. I think that we could also see Matt Moore, Chad Henney, or uh, Kevin Hogan potentially get involved again. That's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Seattle backfield is something I'm going to watch. I want to see who gets you know the the lion's share, the snaps and the carries in that backfield. And I am, I am sickly interested in these four teams who are just bad, you know, racing for the number one pick who are playing against each other. You got uh, the Niners and who are they playing in the Colts, Colts and then Cleveland and the Jets. So I, I want to see how hard those teams try this week. Hey, the Jets are two and two, man. <laughs> <laughs> Tied with the pass. Somehow. Somehow. <laughs> Same record as yeah, New I'm, I'm excited for this Thursday night game as well. Yep. Yeah, unreal. Well, hey, Scott, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, listeners, you can follow him on Twitter at ScottFish24. Um, why don't you tell the folks what else you have been working on? I know you've kind of plugged a couple things here, but let's let's dive in in detail. Um, what can folks expect to find from you uh, week to week? Yeah, you can find all my uh, articles and rankings on fanball.com. I, I do a bold predictions argue article, a, a DFS uh, values article where I go over a DFS value in every single game. I have a contest on fanball.com where you can win a spot in the Scott Fishbowl next year. Uh, it's, it's this $5 GPP. Uh, just go to the lobby and you can, uh, you can join that thing. I also have the Bull Rush podcast, which, uh, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's like a couple guys ha- sitting around drinking, drinking and just talking football. It's it's a really relaxed atmosphere that we have a lot of fun on. Yep, the Bull Rush Pod is great. I'm I'm, I'm a regular listener to that one. And um, thanks again, Scott. I really appreciate your time.
Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yep. Listeners, if you would be so kind, uh, we'd really appreciate a rating and review of the podcast. So if you want to do that on iTunes or Stitcher or, or wherever else you can review it, um, that would be much appreciated. If you have any questions for the show, please reach out to us uh, at 2QBs on Twitter or by email, 2QBs at gmail.com. In both cases, you spell that out, T-W-O-Q-B-S for 2QBs. Uh, hit us up if you got any questions, if you want to... Uh, you know, share any ideas or thoughts or, or yeah, just, you know, ask us, start, sit. We're, we're here to help. Um, with that said, thank you all for joining us and we'll catch you next time on the 2QB experience. Adios. Adios.